Wait, that's a thing? Never heard of it. Oh, you have no idea. This is Haven Space, a safe place for fantasies. Brought to you by sex coach and researcher Sarah Perry. Hi, folks. This is Sarah Perry, and welcome back to Haven Space. Today, we are going to be talking about somatic sex education and sexological bodywork. By the end of this podcast, you should know a little bit more about what these things are, what they aren't, where it comes from, how you can find it, and how to go about making this happen for yourself and your partners or partner with all of the consent, respect, and pleasure that our bodies are capable of. So I have to start off first by apologizing and saying sorry I've been gone for the last couple of weeks. And in large part, it is related to my certification in this type of work, which is why I felt inspired to kind of break free of the pattern of partialisms that we have been learning about and dive into a little bit of this amazing practice and what it entails. The idea of somatics has to do with the soma, the physical body, someone's physical body. And we tend not to think about so much about what's going on in our bodies in unless we're looking from a perspective of like something that needs to be corrected, right? Something that's been pathologized, something medical. For example, I'm paying attention to this happening inside of me because it hurts. I have a stomach ache. My head hurts. We rarely pay attention to our bodies outside of sexual interactions in terms of a little to the left, a little to the right, or when it comes to us being in pain and needing to kind of mitigate that pain. And that can be both fantastic and problematic. Typically, the reason we don't notice that something is going on in our bodies is because we're comfortable, which is amazing, right? Like, we've taken on these amazing tools of being able to identify when something requires our attention. And if it doesn't require our attention, then typically it means that we are in homeostasis. We're perfect. And this is totally fine, right? This is an adaptation that our bodies have created because we're so distracted with everything going on in the world that it really only requires our attention when it absolutely needs us to intervene. So how and when does this become a problem? Well, in the case of sexological body worker, they have come to assist you when there's a disconnect between what you want your body to be saying, doing, responding, and what is actually happening. You learn to tap into exactly what you are feeling physically, what you are sensing in your body, as opposed to what you are feeling emotionally. We have talked a little bit about this phenomenon before, this idea of the culture of confession, according to Foucault, this this idea that we have created a whole society where we have really taught people to, quote unquote, use your words, you know, tell me how you're feeling, and you tell your kids every day, oh, that sounds like an issue. Why don't you tell me how you're feeling about it? And we create entire talk therapies surrounding this. But it becomes an issue when, in fact, sometimes we don't know what we're feeling. And identifying what we're feeling can actually make things worse. In a lot of cases, people who are dealing with trauma 
may find it too difficult to talk about how they're emotionally coping. I mean, how do you even tap in to that level of depth if you are just barely trying to survive? Using somatic awareness is a fantastic tool. It does not require assistance from a third party uh, person, somebody outside of your body to do it. In fact, just with a little bit of practice, this can be something you use to de-escalate and regulate your nervous system so that you can actually respond to things exactly how you would like to be responding to them. A great example I like to give is the idea that Sometimes we feel anxious or stressed out, or we feel like we're about to cry when something happens. That feeling is our interpretation of a physical sensation. For example, inside of my body, sometimes wanting to cry feels like a big lump in my throat. It feels tight, and I can feel the muscles coming up my throat, kind of underneath where my tongue would be on the outside, actually get really, really tense. And then I think, oh, I need to cry or I'm going to cry. But really what I'm doing is analyzing this sensation that I'm getting because it seems familiar to me. I can use these familiar patterns. Sometimes I've cried and I've had this lump in my throat or often I cry and have this lump in my throat to then assume that that's what's going to happen. But our bodies, especially in heightened emotional states, really don't need us to be assuming anything. Our minds are very much as responsible for our moods and our behaviors and our responses as our physical sensations. So by being able to break down into what's actually going on is I feel a knot in my throat. I can then relax a little bit by knowing, oh, I see you. I see that you're there. I see that you have a message and I'm comfortable in that message. Sometimes the message may not lead to tears. Sometimes it may. But the idea that I am able to relax into a physical sensation instead of telling my body that that means something bigger and then causing that physical sensation to grow stronger, I am then taking a little bit of a de-escalation approach inside of my own body. Another way to describe it would be, for example, questioning which comes first, feeling good or smiling. There have been a good amount of studies done on this issue because people think this is an interesting phenomenon. But the reality is that they both feed off of each other. Our physical response to something, us smiling when we feel fantastic, is a response to feeling fantastic. But similarly, we are able to smile and then make ourselves feel better, literally faking it till we make it. And this concept also is reversible. If you are feeling great and you put an angry face on, odds are your emotional state will shift into kind of a discerning place, very different than where you were before and very easily related to your own ability to process the information that's happening. Like I said, we create patterns of behavior and those patterns between what we sense and what we feel then become ingrained into our ability to read into ourselves and our behaviors. We are then able to say, oh, I'm in a terrible mood, I'm frowning, and I just feel bad. It's in a bad mood. Another good example would be simply the moments where you could be sitting in front of the sun and sunlight and then 
wrinkle your forehead. And after a certain amount of time, that wrinkling of the forehead actually puts you in a bad mood. I super encourage you to go read on some of these studies because they're really fascinating. But what I'm here to tell you is that this information is fantastic for us because then we can learn tools to self-regulate that no one has ever taught us. And they're literally as simple as paying attention. So how does this relate to sexuality specifically? Well, in terms of wanting to achieve orgasm or wanting to achieve arousal, especially when we can no longer access the patterns that we used to follow before, being able to pay attention to sensations, to draw attention into them, and then to use techniques such as breathing, thought, sound, movement, to actually accentuate those feelings, those sensations, can make our experiences very different, very varied, and they can really heal from a major perspective. If someone has undergone some type of surgery or has had a major accident that has made them change the way they have to move their body or access their physical sensation, learning conscious ways of somatic awareness can really help us reframe how we feel pleasure, reframe how we become aroused, and hypothetically can retrain your brain to find anything very attractive. I'd like to offer the shadow side of this, that sometimes people who have dealt with a lot of abuse don't perceive it as abuse and in fact perceive it as arousal and it's because of these same training techniques when we continue to experience something that is then followed by orgasm or by pleasurable genital touch or by pleasurable touch we create bonds a lot of times in therapy we would use the term trauma bonding which is a bond that comes up after a traumatic moment very much the reason that people feel that they should kind of coddle and hold their children after spanking or after hitting them or after yelling at them or a fight. It's really important that we learn appropriate patterns of bonding and don't over-romanticize our relationship with our children when we have been disciplinarians. Now, I don't particularly condone of any kind of corporal punishment or yelling at children because children are people and we want to teach them about consent we want to teach them what forcefulness is and they don't get that lesson if the people who love them and take care of them the most hit them and then later say that it's because we love them so keep that in mind all of the time but the major lesson is the same the reason those things work the reason your children come and hold you tightly after they've been disciplined in a way that was kind of over-dominant is because they have gotten used to that trauma bond. So we want to encourage our bodies and ourselves to learn new forms of bonding that don't involve the trauma part. Now let's go back to a person that has had such severe trauma that they really don't have an easy way of dealing with that emotion in order to break it down and move past it. The first thing you need to know is that as far as I know and as far as I've learned and researched, there are three different kinds of trauma 
that we can experience. Now, this doesn't mean there are only three. There could be more. Find someone that does more research on that subject specifically. But these kinds of trauma inform somatic sexology. They inform um, somatic awareness and really my entire practice in terms of sex coaching. The first kind of trauma is trauma that you dealt with yourself. It was an experience that happened to you inside of this body and you hold it inside of yourself as that and you rationalize it however you rationalize it in order to survive. Now the shape your body takes to survive something is always a gift. It is always a tool for your tool belt and it is always valuable no matter what the response was. You can continue to choose to use that tool and you can continue to choose to see if the cost versus reward of using that tool is worth it. And you have the option of changing that tool whenever you want, whenever you want to reach out or to keep this one in the back pocket even when you have new tools because wow, what an amazing tool that helped me survive a traumatic incident, right? First kind of trauma, experiential trauma. Second kind of trauma is hereditary trauma. It's trauma that comes from the way we were raised, that comes from our culture. Trauma that says that women should be quiet and sit down and be submissive to the men in the family. Some of this type of trauma is responsible for Rupi Kaur's poetry. This trauma also is very much in, in society heard of as, well, I turned out okay, or my parents did this to me. That trauma is the belief that the abuse that we had to survive in order to become the adults that we are was part of our shaping into our adulthood and that we are the way we are and we have survived how we have survived because of and not in spite of our trauma. That trauma also says, well, I'm a better mother than my mother was, or I'm a less violent mother than my mother was. That, that trauma displays itself that way because through self-preservation, we have to find excuses for continuing to perpetuate cycles of violence that maybe look differently than the cycles of violence that we grew up with. And lastly, a type of trauma that relates to our ancestors, epigenetic trauma. Epigenetic trauma is the most felt inside of your body because trauma lives in your cells and it does not go away until it's resolved. I highly encourage you to purchase the book My Grandmother's Hands by Resma Menakin. He also has an amazing program where he kind of breaks down epigenetic trauma when it comes to racial context. But this is a trauma that is bigger than racial context. And I love that he uses this as the anchor because so much of our culture today has to do with this invention of race. But even before we had invented it, the different experiences that our bodies and existed with, all of those things are passed down to us, which is why we have to handle these genetic burdens, which is why we have to take it upon ourselves to rid our bodies of this because we can heal all of our ancestors inside of our own healing. These three different kinds of trauma 
all have different ways in which they can be solved. One is body up, or what we call head up. So any kind of like psychology, therapy, talk therapy, group therapy, anytime you sit around discussing theories and breaking down why things happen the way they do and why they make us feel the way they do, assisted or unassisted, all of those are head up. There is also horizontal, which is through peer support, through bonding with people and being able to essentially relax and find that we can be supported in our experiences, even without having to negotiate them or have conversations about what they were. And then lastly is feet down, body down. And those have to do with your physical body and the ways that pleasure, that sensing, that meditation, that tantra, all of these things that have to do with our bodies, our pleasure, and different states of consciousness can be used one on top of the other to create a reality in which that trauma can dissipate. Certain types of trauma cannot be discussed to death. Certain kinds of trauma has to be pleasured to death, has to be heard to death, and heard inside of the body and not with words. And that is what somatics is about. In a typical appointment with a sexological body worker, you would essentially show up and decide for yourself where you want to sit, how you want to sit. You would establish boundary negotiations. You would establish whether or not this is a session where you are comfortable having genital touch or if you want to take it off the table. And if you do feel comfortable with genital touch, you get to have a conversation about what that looks like for you. Does it mean any kind of internal genital touch with a toy or with fingers? Does it mean internal anally? Does it mean external everywhere? Does it mean external underneath the labia? So you get to have this whole conversation probably more specific than any conversation you've had with any sexual partner ever. And inside of the session, you can always decide you're not comfortable with something. Um, what we don't like you to do is decide that you actually are willing to go further because the mind of a person who is aroused is a different mind than the person that came in with a really stable consent agreement that they felt comfortable with at the time. And we don't want anybody to walk out of one of these appointments that are healing and that are beneficial with the idea that your boundaries were crossed because that would definitely send you some steps back. Then you would proceed to play a certain amount of games, games sometimes that simply are about you telling me, directing me exactly how you want to be directed. Sometimes it is a matter of massages where you get to be the active narrator of the massage. You get to tell the person who is massaging you what you want and how. And the moment you become passive, the hands come off because it is not a matter of you being just passive. It's a matter of you paying attention to what is happening for you. So the moment you're unable to pay attention is a moment that it's no longer part of the exercise. Now, most of these things have very little limits as far as the patient, if you will, and the practitioner. The most important limits and the most hard limits when it comes to sexological body work is that the practitioner is always clothed, that genital touch is always gloved, 
and that there is only one-way touch. So you would not be physically reciprocating with the practitioner. So you are not here learning techniques for making someone orgasm. You are learning how to tune in to your body so that you can figure out what it is that you want, what your body wants, and how to give it to your body in the best way possible. These teachings are largely influenced by Joseph Kramer and the body electric, basically the beginnings of erotic massage. Feel free to look them up. Some of the videos are pretty freaking hilarious because of the wording that is used and definitely is not super inclusive when it comes to language surrounding gender and body parts. And then I, of course, encourage you to go online and look at the Institute of Somatic Sex Educators and follow some of the work of Kath and Jesse and the rest of the team because the work they're doing is fantastic. Interested in finding a provider that does this type of work for yourself, you can check out the website for ACSB or the Association for Certified Sexological Body Workers to find someone in your area that practices. You can also nowadays find any of these practitioners that do Zoom sessions. And it might seem that this wouldn't be helpful, but a lot of the techniques are things that you can absolutely do to yourself, by yourself, while being coached by someone that has some of these experiences themselves. So folks, today we discussed sexological bodywork and we discussed somatic sex education. We talked a little bit about the history. We talked about the types of trauma and the types of solutions to those traumas that we can encounter and what somatics are and how they can be beneficial. And lastly, we of course gave you some tips about how to go finding a provider for yourself. Thank you for listening. That's all for today, and I'll check you out next time. This has been another podcast of Haven Space. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Haven Space by Sarah and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Haven Space by Sarah. If you enjoyed this talk, consider becoming a patron and helping fund more talks like this in the future.